Today is the day to wake, work, and win. Welcome to The Standard. Hey, Frank, thanks for being here. Thank you very much. Uh, You know, it's an interesting thing because we had a very brief, you know, one minute conversation just before we went live. You and I just were talking about how, you know, if you have a message that people want to hear that inspires them great go out and share that message and some people are gonna take something away from it some people may not some people may want to criticize you for what you're doing because for whatever reason but at the same time if you believe in your message and if you believe in what you're doing and you're passionate about it then pursue it I mean this is this is life how many opportunities do we have to do it right when you're willing to put yourself out there you're obviously risking people coming after you but if you believe in it, you think that it's the right thing to do, then there shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, I mean, what's right is right. I do think that you have to, like you said also before the show, you got to have your, your you got to have your on finger the on the pulse. Because like you just can't say, oh, I've got all these haters out there. That's a good thing. Well, I mean, what are these? What are some of them saying? Right. Hopefully, you just have people close to you that will keep you in check. But I mean, with you going out and speaking to all kinds of organizations, corporations, and companies, are you finding uh, some resistance as well? My, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I honestly feel like I can write an entire book about that. It is, it's true. First of all, my passion 100% is with the fire service. It's my, yeah, it's my, where my heart is. It's where my, you know, my grew up the son of a firefighter, brother of a firefighter, uh, was able to work my way up to the position of deputy chief, tried to make a difference at every level. And I had a slow start in the fire service too, meaning, you know, I was a guy that did everything I was told to do, but I didn't do more than expected because I thought I was just supposed to do only what I was told to do. And then I realized, you know what, hey, I have more to offer. There's more I can do. And I want to do that. And so criticism starts, uh, sometimes it starts right in your own organization and and it can come from anywhere. But here's my take on it, John. I feel like if you're respectful about the change you're trying to make in your organization or elsewhere, you know, like I'm trying to make it, I'm trying to make change in the fire service throughout the world. And I'm trying to pro- uh, provide this message to people on teaching them how to be better, more effective leaders and, and how to develop, you know, strong teams. And of course, there's some people that will disagree with some things now and then, but there's some other people that may be, feel threatened by it. It could be another person trying to spread a different message. But, but my take on it is this. I will never try to discredit somebody to promote my message. And when I see people that do that, when I see them name calling and seeing them uh, bashing people directly or indirectly, many times it's indirectly. I call them snipers because they hide in the shadows and they throw their shots out. You know, a lot of times what I try to do, if that happens to me, and I know that somebody's taking a shot at me personally, I'll call them up. I'll send them a message on social media. I'll talk to them and just say, look, you know, I think there's a disconnect between what I'm trying to say and the way you're perceiving it or receiving the message. Here's the deal. Uh, I am a guy who, like many people that I talk to in my seminars, because I ask this question, how many people in this room are overthinkers? Half the, half the hands go up in a row. When I say overthinkers, you know, for me, this is a person who does sometimes what I do is wake up at three o'clock. I think I wake up at about 3.30 every single morning. 
lie in bed and I don't even know why I woke up, but then I just start thinking about things. And when you're an overthinker, you, you rarely think about positive things. You're thinking about well, what things that can go wrong and what I need to do in, if this situation happens or that situation. And you cause unnecessary stress and you cause anxiety, cause all these things that are unhealthy to you, especially, you know, and you're a great person to talk to about this because you're about fitness and mindset. And so you kind of start beating yourself up a little bit. And then you get out there and you're like, oh, wait, you know what? I have a message I want to share. I have a, a direction I want to go in, something I'm working on, whether it be a book, a webinar, seminar, whatever it is. And you start focusing on that. And then you'll get the critics come out of the woodwork. And it's funny because here's my thought about it. If they knew that I was my own worst critic, they wouldn't even waste their time trying to be my critic. And I don't think I have that many that I'm aware of. My point is the, the ones that do want to be critics of yours, they make themselves known. You know, they'll say you'll post something on social media and they'll post something complete opposite of what you just post to try to discredit you. If you have to discredit another human being to make your point more value, you're doing it wrong. You know, there's room for both opinions. This is mine. And if we disagree on anything with each other, what I know about you and I know you know about me, we can pick up the phone, call each other and, and within one minute we have some kind of a resolution to where we're both pretty happy with an outcome and we've never had to go there yet, but I just know that about you. You know, in one of my books, I talk about life enhancers and lawnmowers. Life enhancers are people that build you up, that encourage you, that tell you, Hey, I'm proud of you. You're doing a good job. Keep going. Lawnmowers are people that try to cut you down and stop what you're doing and try to cut down your dreams when they never even venture out of their own backyard. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I've read Step Up and Lead, and I wanted to ask you, how do you think that that firefighter in the station who wants to make a change, how can they deal with your officers? At the beginning of Step Up and Lead, I talk about how the words that I heard that inspired me to want to make this change and go in this direction was I'm attending a conference one time, and he was talking about leadership in general. And the words he said were, a leader of one can become a leader of many, but if you can't lead one, you'll never lead any. And he was talking about us leading ourselves. And I really took heart to that message because at that point in my life, I was blaming a lot of other people for the things that weren't working in my life. If I had a bad relationship, it was my partner's fault. If I was, had a bad experience at work and I didn't enjoy going there, it was my boss's fault. If the new guy you know, didn't pull his weight, it was his fault we weren't six. It was always someone else's fault. And at that point, I thought, let me stop focusing on the people above me and around me or the critics. And let me start focusing on how I can be the best me that I can be. My advice to these people that you're talking to is be the best you can be in the position you're currently at. Set the right example. Try to make positive change. It's not always going to uh, encounter resistance. There are plenty of people in leadership positions that value a lieutenant who thinks like a captain and a captain that thinks like a deputy or a firefighter 
who thinks like an officer long before they get bars on their collar. There's plenty of people that value that. And a lot of times, and I think this is the number one question that I'm asked. In one way, shape, or form, people say, I'm a newly appointed officer, and I want to make a change in my organization, but I'm encountering resistance in one way, shape, or form. What do I do? And I tell them the same thing I just told you, is focus on being the best you and the best in that position. But instead of trying to change your whole organization, start by changing one. Meaning, if you sat down and had a conversation with one or two of the people you work with and said, hey, what do you think about us doing this or that? Something that you know can enhance your ability to provide great service. And maybe it's the way you train. Maybe it's the fact that you want to become better at, at whatever the test, forcible entry. You know, we're not good enough at this. We don't train. We don't have the props. So what if we did this? And you come up with a plan and you do it. Well, now you've led one in a better direction. And there could be a snowball effect that can help that can happen with that. So that would be my initial advice, you know, is be the best you you could be, be the best in that position you can be, continue to educate yourself and try to get one or two people to go in that direction with you. Start there because you can't change an organization of 150 if you don't have the ability to be the best you. What do you think makes up a good, like well-rounded firefighter? You think it's all hard work? You think it's all talent, a mix? You know what, listen, uh, I have to say hard work because I don't think I have natural talent uh, or ability to just, you know, step into any arena and be great at anything. For me, I've found that perseverance and hard work trumps talent. I was asked recently what the number one quality I want to see in a new teammate would be. And I said, listen, I I have to tell you that I can't sum it up in one word, but I'm going to sum it up with two. Grit and humility. Grit meaning show me the person who's going to continue to go and continue to move forward and press forward and try to, you know, achieve that end goal, even though they're going to encounter resistance. Because every success story I've ever heard in my life had three components, the dream, the struggle, and the prize. And most people don't reach the prize in life because they quit during the struggle. So grit and persistence, I think, are amazing. And with regards to humility, I mentioned that because it's easy for somebody to believe their own press at some point if they have a level of success. And I think you always have to remember you can and are obligated to continuously get better. If you do achieve success, no one ever does it alone anyway. You know, at least not in a team event or team arena or team sport or business like we have. Uh, you know, it's funny you, you bring that up. I'm working on my eighth book right now. And the section that I was just writing this morning was about Sylvester Stallone. And a lot of people know the success he's had. Clearly, he's one of the biggest stars in the world. But Stallone used to sit in a little apartment that was so small, he's able to open a window and close the door from his bed. And in that room, he would sit himself up and t- there were very little distractions. He would tell you, on a legal pad, actually, wouldn't even type, but we would just scribble uh, these short stories. And there was this one reoccurring thing that happened in all of his stories. It was all about unrealized dreams. It was about the down-of-luck drifter who never got the shot, or that person who never gave up, even though the deck was stacked against him. And, you know, he's basically got no money. He had to sell his dog. A lot of people know this part of the story, but he goes to see a championship fight between Muhammad Ali and New Jersey's Chuck Wepner. 
And that becomes the inspiration for Rocky. But what a lot of people don't realize was that he writes this story. He goes in on an audition. He doesn't get the part, but he meets the producer and the casting director and says, you know, I do a little writing too. And I have a story about a boxer. So they said, well, why don't you bring it around? So he did. And when he brought it around, they offer him $25,000 for the rights to the script, but they don't want him in the movie. So he declines it. He's thinking, this is my only opportunity. So at least for this, and he feels like there's something here. They offer him 100000 He declines it. He's got $160 in the bank. His car just broke down. He had to sell his dog. And he declines $100,000, more money than he's ever seen. And in his mind, he thought, I managed poverty pretty well up to this point. So I can live without it. They offer him 150,000, then 175, then 250. He declines it, then 330, then 360. He declines it until they offer him the opportunity to actually star in that movie himself, which he took the offer. And the rest is history. What's the difference between grit and just running your head against the wall? I think some people think that they're practicing and making progress or, hey, I am working hard but maybe well, it's not, not specific enough to get yourself any better. You know, how, how can you tell the difference? I think you can be busy all, and everybody I know is busy, but you can be busy all day long doing all the wrong activity and wonder why you're not getting ahead. In this book that I'm finishing up, I talk about eight steps to take in order to achieve success. And step six, right after, Step five, which is having the guts to persist, which is what we're talking about. But step six is adapt when necessary. And I think what happens is the people that are banging their head against the wall are so conditioned to bang their head against the wall, they think they have to keep doing that until they, they break through. When in reality, maybe you just need to turn around and say, that's the wrong wall. But one of the stories in a book I'd written, Common Valor, was about a you know, firefighter who got trapped in a flashover and thought he was going to die in the room. And, ha and even though he's surrounded by, you know, he could see nothing but orange, and he could feel the flesh burning off his hands. At one point, he gets up and, and dives to the wall where he knew there was a window. But instead, he hit right in between two windows, fell back to the floor and thought, I'm going to die. This is it. And his whole life flashes before his eyes. And as he's laying there, he notices the fire lifting starts moving in a certain area. And in his mind, he thinks, that fire's got to be going out of this room. It has to be going through a window. So however he was able to process this, you know, and would have been and could have been the final minutes of his, or moments of his life, he just gets up and dives into the fire and ends up going out the window and landing on the roof. And, uh, and you know, he ended up surviving, uh, had to have some skin graft surgery and and ended up uh, eventually getting back to the fire service and becoming a deputy chief and having a very successful career. But think about that. What if he got up again and jumped right back into the wall that he, that he jumped in initially? He would have ended up dying in the room. But instead would, he thought, you know Was what? he a young firefighter at that point? Or was he? Yeah. Did he, he wasn't that young. I mean, he, he was a little bit early in his career, but he was on a rescue company at the time. He had spent some time on some ladder companies and very uh, good firefighter. An interesting story. You know, he had uh, some extra protective gear that the departments didn't have that have at the time because he had bunker gear when at that that he paid for out of his own money, and they still had pull-up boots. You know, it was that type of scenario. But he learned. And what I love about it is 
again, the humility that came with learning that lesson of him thinking, I'm not as good as I thought I was, and I'm going to tell other people this story so they understand that this can happen to them too. And that's one of the beautiful things about our industry is that the truly great firefighters are not out there criticizing other people that are trying to do good things. The truly great ones are trying to make their organization better or trying to make the fire service in general better. And part of doing that is by learning from our mistakes. I banged my head against this wall. It's not the right wall. That's not the right activity. Maybe we need to go down this path, change what you're doing. But let me teach other people what I did so they don't do it as well. In a lot of your books, you talk about humility. Why do you think that's such a difficult skill to cultivate? I'm not 100% sure I can tell you this, that I mean, the, the number one reason why most people would not call a mayday when they initially feel they need it is because they don't want to be ridiculed and they don't want to be perceived as being weak. And so, you know, the first thing that crosses, and this, these, this is because I share this because the near miss reports that we have read about and classes and people I know that have been in those situations where they had the call maydays have talked about this and said, you know, I didn't want to call this and then realize I shouldn't have called it and then risk being ridiculed now. So maybe that's part of it, but I can tell you that everyone around us knows what we're good and bad at anyway. So there's no need to sit here and try to act like we don't, you know, that we're something we're not. You know, a lot of people I find a lot of people don't want to go out and train because they really don't want a lot of people to know what they don't know. And the truth is they already know, you know, it's just something that you spend enough time with people. You, you figure out who knows what they're doing and who doesn't, but that humility that we talk about, again, I'll refer to my buddies uh, that are, are fighting in the UFC. And uh, it's an interesting thing because like Frankie Edgar being one of them, Frankie's strength was always wrestling. He was a fantastic wrestler in high school and college. And most of the people in his camp right now, that not in his camp, but that are training uh, you know, with him, are people where they're great fighters. Some are great stand-up fighters. Some are kickboxers, um, you know, all different disciplines. But where they struggled was wrestling. So they come to a camp and train with Frankie Edgar, who also owns a wrestling school. And they have the opportunity now to learn a thing they don't know. So think about this. You're one of the best fighters on the planet. I think he has five or six people that they train with right now that are all ranked in their different weight classes, top 10 in the world. And I asked him one time, you know, I've spent time with, with them. And I say, how, how is it that you're all so humble? And he says, well, he says, it's easy to stay humble when you get knocked out in front of millions of people. He goes, but a lot of people don't realize that you know we we get beat up in our own gym quite often you know so when people when when a fighter goes out there and they have a a four minute fight and end up winning by tko and they jump for joy and everybody high fives or they take their photo and they get their interview by joe rogan and and then they go home what people don't realize is the nine months that led up to that four minute fight the nine months of them getting beat up the nine months of bruises. I don't think Frankie has ever fought once in the last 12 years where he was not injured. And those injuries happen at practice. We'll now relate that to our industry and the fire service. So are you supposed to actually not train because you think you know it all? And how about we look at this and say, 
every single day I come here, I need to learn something I don't know. How great would that be? And if you're the instructor, you're the officer who's supposed to conduct the drills, well, you have even more of a responsibility now to not just learn something you don't know, but to teach that to other people. And how do you learn? There's, it's so easy to learn. Books, podcasts, webinars, seminars, videos, you name it. I mean, the, the information we have access to is incredible. You could legitimately spend one hour a day anywhere in your office, in bed. I don't care where you are, on your phone, educating yourself in some kind of discipline that now you can bring back and say, well, let me talk about, to everybody about what I learned. And why is it so hard? It shouldn't be. I think there's more to humility than just saying, I'm not good at this. Just self-deprecation. Yeah, like, you know, you aren't good at something and just coming out in front of a group of people and saying, you know, I'm not good at this. I don't know if that's humility. I think I think humility is, one, acknowledging it like that. That's an acknowledgement. It's part of it. But then it's going and doing something about it. Yeah, the real humility comes in when you're willing to fail in front of someone. Not yeah. just say like, hey, this is a weak spot. It's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you my weak spot, and hopefully we can get better. Yeah, I mean, that's the point, right? Yeah, no doubt. And we have to support each other when we do make mistakes, especially during training. And um, I agree with you. I think, I think this is a great topic that we need to talk more about. Because uh, I can tell you that some people look at me as a leadership and team building expert. And I tell them I am not. I'm a leadership and team building specialist because that's what I specialize in. It's what I study. It's what I learn. It's what I put into practice every single day of my life in one way, shape, or form. But I still fail. I still fail at doing things and I still learn. But what I do in my classes and books is teach people the things I did that were successful as well as the things that I did that were wrong so I can help them get there quicker. And it's, it's like being a coach, you know, even coaches out there don't succeed all the time. How many coaches you know have never lost a game? Well, how many fire chiefs do you know have never lost a building? Everybody's been there. You know, part of going back to failing in front of people, it's a lot easier to be humble. Like everything we're talking about, be humble, work on something, a weakness, and it might uh, make you look dumb in front of other people, but it's all about the mindset we've talked about before, challenge versus threat. We're like, what do you mean? Well, if you've got that challenge mindset, it it really doesn't matter. Like everything that you're doing, all your actions are geared towards, I want to get better. This is a challenge. You're always trying to get better at something. I feel like if you're always operating in threat mindset that usually you do what's most comfortable for you or you don't even do anything at all. You know? Yeah, you're more excited for the challenge that's ahead of you as opposed to feeling like scared because of the threat. Yeah. And usually you're scared of everyday situations, right? right? So if you're in threat mindset, just going to say a structure fire first do might be like, Oh shit, I don't ever want that to happen. Yeah. But if you're the challenge mindset, it's like, I'm sure. First do whatever, like it could, let's go rear call. Let's go. We're ready. You hit on a great point there. Uh, because you talk about when you see things as a threat, well, that will affect other areas of your life too. Because if you have a challenge in one, say your professional life where you see something as a threat, and now you're a little paranoid about uh, something that could be going wrong, all of a sudden that kind of 
it materializes and trans, uh, kind of transfers into other areas of your life to where now you're concerned about something else that has nothing in relation to what you're initially concerned about. So much of, of achieving success in general is a mindset. And it is you uh, focusing on uh, solutions and overcoming challenges, and you know, and, and you'll it'll manifest in different ways in all of us. Frank, you said you got a, a slow start in the fire service. When did you start to cultivate this mindset? You know, it was still when I was a firefighter. I still remember one time uh, being as a firefighter. Uh, I'd say I'm probably about maybe four or five years into my career. I would, uh, you know, cleaning the deputy chief's office and he was out uh, at a meeting or, or doing something. And as I'm cleaning his office and he's got his bathroom in his office and I'm walking around, I'm just kind of looking around his office and I'm thinking, I wonder if I could ever be a deputy chief one day. And I remember sitting on the edge of the bed, which was made. And I remember sitting on the edge of it and I'm just looking around thinking, ah, you know what, I think I can be here one day. I really do. I think I could be a deputy chief one day. And I started to think, all right, so if I'm going to get here, what do I need to do better right now? And I remember specifically thinking, the first thing you need to do better is clean this office the best you can. I remember thinking that because I remember thinking it was easy to come in here and just kind of make it look like you cleaned it up a little bit rather than really actually clean it, you know, mopping the floor and doing the bathroom and cleaning the toilet and, you know, the sink and all that. That little shift was something, it's kind of like that book that I have right in front of me right now by Admiral uh, McRaven, Make Your Bed. It starts with something small. And if you can make your bed, you just accomplish the first task of the day. And now you, you focus on what is the ne next task and you continue doing that. And it was a, a subliminal shift. It wasn't something that I sat out here and mapped out and said, let me do this right now and change everything about the direction of my life. My life wasn't going in a bad direction at all. It was going fine. But I was the guy, I alluded to this earlier, and I'll elaborate. I was the guy that did everything my coaches ever told me, my teachers ever told me, my parents ever told me, and my bosses at work ever told me. But I was not the guy who did more than what they told me to do. And it wasn't because I wasn't willing to do more. It was because I just didn't truly understand the value that came with being the person that did more than expected. Um, I just kind of felt like, this is what you want me to do. Let me do it. And then I'd often wonder, well, how come they value this person or that person or that person? I do everything that, that I'm ever asked to do. But then it wasn't until about that point in my life where I said, well, what if I did a little bit more than expected? And so that's why that's one of the key principles I talk about in my books and seminars is do more than expected when you're out there providing a service for your community. Every firefighter, almost every firefighter starts out with this job full of motivation. Good intentions. Yeah. Wanting to make it better. Mm -hmm. Some lose their way or some lose that motivation. So where do you think, like what causes that? Oh, that's such a great question. Uh, I think there's numerous reasons. I think sometimes people get beat down by their own leadership. Uh, or people in leadership positions in their organization, and that could be a cause of where it happens. Um, but sometimes I think, I mean, we have, to, we have to acknowledge the extreme power of social media. You know, like anybody can go on there and they can spread anything they want and they can talk about 
you know, whatever it is, uh, in whatever way they want. And sometimes people look at that and go, oh, okay, so I can, I can actually just sit here and be angry at things. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to be an angry firefighter. People go on social media and say, look at this idiot. What are these idiots doing? Oh, my God, that, da, 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 da. And other people are watching this, young, more impressionable people thinking, oh, it's cool just to call people idiots. Let me start doing that. I remember one time a friend of mine on a very busy department was photographed on the front porch of a building, fire ripping out of every single window. He doesn't have a tank on. He's doing something to try to gain entry. There's bars on the windows uh, to try to gain entry into the building. And again, fully involved structure. And this photo uh, that they take goes viral. And people are bashing this firefighter, who is one of the most experienced firefighters I've ever known in my career. Again, from a very busy organization. And I remember calling him up, and he was mad. He's thinking, you know, these people don't even know what they're talking about. He goes, what they don't know is that we had 24 fires in 24 hours because someone was walking around lighting vacant buildings up. We had no air left. There were no tanks. I thought, well, there you go. You don't have the full story, so let me just, let me just bash this person. But his response to one of the kids that wrote something was pretty funny. He says, listen, son, I don't know how old you are or how long you've been in a fire service, but I'm pretty sure that that building has seen more fire than you have in your career. I don't understand it, guys. I don't understand it. Um, I do understand the value in looking at a picture or a video and saying, ooh, they did this wrong, so let me sit down with the firefighters I work with. Let's show this. Let's talk about it and make sure it doesn't happen to us. But I don't understand the value in going on social media and trying to criticize people publicly when you weren't there. Oh, it, it, it makes them feel better. It makes them feel like, oh, I, they're not being honest with themselves. You can look at, at that, uh, that same situation and, and look objectively at yourself. Like, would I have done anything differently? You'll, you're never going to know, but never know. Um, what would you do if you're a company officer and you, know, you have that going on at your station? How do you squash that? Yeah, well, it starts with just pulling everybody together. And if you're the leader of that team, then you're setting that tone. So you have to let them know what is and what isn't acceptable. And I've had to have these conversations before. I've had to have conversations where, where I said, look, you know, to one individual in my office, I'd say, this is a family. We've worked very hard to establish a culture where we feel and operate like a family. It, we're not perfect, but the one thing we're not going to do is go around and criticize, condemn, complain, and try to do things to destroy this great culture that we're working to develop. If you have a problem with somebody on this group, bring it to me. Let's talk about it with that person. Let's resolve the issue. Everything, everything that you ever encounter. I think it was uh, Ulysses S. Grant had a great quote. Uh, from many years ago. And he said, uh, there was never a time when, in my opinion, some way could not be found to prevent the drawing of the sword. Now, here's, here's a guy that, I mean, spent much of his life drawing the sword, but thought, there is a way we could prevent doing this. And sometimes we need to be the, those people that we sit down in our, with our organization and say, there's a better way. We can still talk about what's wrong. 
but now let's just focus on the solutions to make it right. And part of that is saying we can agree to disagree. That second part of that takes work. And it's, it takes no work to sit back, be angry, complain about what things are going on. It takes work to, to change that. You want to talk about your new book? I'm, I'm interested to hear what you're writing about. Yeah, well, thank you for asking about that. It's, um, this is a book that I, I've been teaching for several years, the content from this book. I call it Flashpoint. And in the book, uh, in my book prior to this, uh, Step Up Your Teamwork, I talk about the four stages of team development and the ones you want to be in and the ones you want to avoid. And like the decay stage of team development is the one you want to avoid because that's when your team consumed with drama and you hear things like, I don't care anymore. I give up. This place stinks and all that. But we want to be at a team, uh, you know, in a stage where we're producing, where we have urgency, we have momentum, we have systems in place. And flashpoint is that whole simple concept of everything has a flashpoint to the point where it's one degree made the difference. And oftentimes, when I've analyzed first my own success or failures in life, I'd sit down and think, what did I do when I achieved success compared to the times when I didn't? And I identified eight things that I've done every single time I've achieved success. And then I started having conversations or now rereading books that I've read from successful people in the past and saying, I wonder if they did these things. And I found that these eight steps were taken every time. Nobody just stumbled into success. You know, with the first one being set expectations up front. You know, if you don't set expectations, how can you achieve a goal? Step two, being prepared for victory. If you're not prepared, you know, now you're just, I mean, I, I believe games, many games are won or lost, you know, at practice, not on game day. And I'm sure you agree with me on that. So like I talked about these specific steps and what each one of them meant and mean to me. Finally, and it was really as a result of this lockdown. And when this started, I said, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to write this book right now because it's been on my mind and I've been teaching it for many years. Now it's time to put it down. You have to eventually take action. Don't think you need to have it all figured out. So many people, I did. I used to think I had to have it all figured out. And so many people think you have to have it all figured out before they go. And I'm saying, you know what, take action because, yeah, learn from other people's experiences. That old ancient proverb, man who stands on side of mountain with mouth wide open waits long time for roasted duck to fly in. You have to go do something if you want to be fed because it's not just coming to you. I can't imagine that you do a ton of reading while you're writing your book, but what would be some, some other suggested reading for, for folks out there? It's Your Ship has always been one of my favorite leadership books. Make Your Bed uh, is a great book. Uh, then you got, you know, if you're a firefighter and you haven't read the Pass It On series, what a fantastic book with the proceeds going to charity as well. But that's by uh, Billy Goldfeather, Pass It On 1, 2, and 3, which is basically fire service leaders that are sharing tips with people that they want to pass on. I mean, great, simple concept. Uh, but what do you want to, what do you want to achieve success in? Last night, so here I am, like I, I have coached many Little League baseball teams. My boys here at Tom's River East Little League. Tom's River East uh, is basically, you know, 20 years ago, they were an absolute powerhouse, you know, in, in Little League. They three time, three years in a row, they made it to Williamsport. The third year, they won the Little League World Series championship. And I still, 
you know, see some of the players on that team regularly, even though I, I've only been living here for 10 years. But yesterday, uh, I'm talking to a friend and he says, have you read six perfect innings? I said, no, what, what's it about? He goes, it's about Tom's Revisa League and that, you know, that time frame, that dynasty. I said, I didn't even know that book was written. He says, yeah, yeah. He goes, a lot of people don't even know about it. He goes, matter of fact, uh, my uncle was a coach back in that time, and he's quoted in the book several times. And I called him up yesterday and talked to him about it, and he didn't even know about the book. He remembers being interviewed, but I had no idea about the book. I said, how about that? So I ordered the book right then and there because I thought, this is something I want to know about. You know, I want to know about, even though I know the coach, you know, who coached these three teams, I want to know what it took to get three years in a row to get three little league teams to Williamsport, because that's a tremendous accomplishment. So what do you want to learn about? You want to learn how to be a better firefighter? I have at least 60 books in my office on how to become a better firefighter from everything from tactics, from building construction to size up and you name it. The materials, it's there. You want to be a better leader? There's no secret. Leadership books are everywhere. Find someone that you respect, somebody who's has a, who for some reason you've been introduced to in your life. Maybe, you know, maybe you're a fan of the Chicago Bulls and you want to read about, you know, what the coach of the Bulls had done to achieve success. Here's a great story. I mean, here's a guy, when he comes over to the Bulls, he tells Michael Jordan, who's the star of the Bulls, he says, I'm going to develop the talent around you you know, Scottie Pippen and all those guys, we need other weapons because we can't just win championships with just Michael Jordan. We need other weapons, other threats. And Jordan was reluctant about that. You know, maybe it was ego. I'm not sure the the, the big documentary has been going on recently about, you know, the last dance, which is fantastic. But the long and short of it is that they develop the town around them. They win multiple championships. And if some people think that's a fluke, that coach eventually goes to the LA Lakers and wins, I think, another five championships with them. I think he won 11 championships all in all because he understood the value of developing talent around people. So it's not just about having one key player. So if you wanted to learn how to develop a team, well, there's a great person to learn from. When's that book coming out? Probably within four months. Oh, wow. Be ready. What I'm doing right now is a final read through. Uh, just trying to make sure that I've, I've said it the best way that I feel I can say it. Then I set it out to, to be edited and then we go to print. Well, in the meantime, everyone can pick up, step up and lead, step up your teamwork, common valor, step up and stand out. That should, that should hold them off until the new one comes out. Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask me what book to read if they had to start with one. And I tell them, listen, uh, to give you a summary, Step Up and Lead's always the first one I suggest people start with. If you've read Step Up and Lead, but you haven't read Step Up Your Teamwork, well, that's a great second book because it brings you beyond that point now. All right, now I understand the leader of one concept. Now, we, now let me try to get this mindset with the rest of my team members. So we talk about uh, some teams that have been able to do that. And the other books, you know, Five Round Operational Guides is just about helping your organization. First of all, that's a great book to help people get promoted. But it's a, a book that offers 70 operational guides for 70 different types of incidents. So the materials, uh, the information on the books are all on my website. Well, thanks, Frank. I really appreciate it. And uh, keep putting out good stuff. We'll keep reading it. Hey, thank you very much again. I appreciate you guys. 